Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb and his unfortunate, tragic badminton story. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Is that it? People were making fun of us for calling it Champions of Kamigawa. Did we do that? I mean, I, I'm sure we did if people said we did. So it, it's it's like 20 years ago, right? So in my mind, whenever I say Kamigawa, like it just auto-completes to champions because that's what it's been for 20 years. So I'm sorry. Anyway, tragic badminton story. Have you come up with anything yet? I told you I'm not comfortable talking about that, Gerald. <laughs> it's not something – I fall into a deep, dark despair every time someone even brings up the game of badminton. So I – I wish we could talk about something else, like say magic cards. Well, we could do that. Uh, so, are there are there more episodes of that show up? So there's there's an anime called Salarymen's Club. Is that it? Yeah. Well, it depends on. I, I think like the translation is a little shaky. Okay. So, something along those lines. I've also seen it shortened in some ways to like I don't know, just like the end part of salary. So Allery Men. I don't I don't know why they did that, but. Yeah, it's a, a weird anime about an <laughs> a hypothetical world where it seems like much of your job performance is based on your ability to play badminton for the corporate badminton team. It, I mean, it reminded me of college basketball. Kind of, it's right just, it's, because it's like you get you get invited to go to these like prestigious schools if you can game, and yeah. that that's basically what was happening. I don't know. It's it's better than probably what our description makes it out to be. Especially if you enjoy or tolerate the game of badminton. Yeah, I actually love badminton. And that's not something that comes up very often because it's just like not a widely played game, I guess. I mean, maybe in some pockets it is, but it's like a lawn game, right? Where you're out in the summertime and you play some casual badminton. I'm looking for high stakes competitive badminton. I, I, I just think it's a great game. I never played outside of high school, but I enjoyed it when when we did play in high school. Maybe since we've uh, been fired from our magic jobs, we should transition to the world of badminton. We can be a badminton commentary team. I mean, those those do exist, although it seems like only for the Olympics, right? Although I'm sure if you like went to YouTube and Twitch, there's probably a thriving badminton scene, like there is for every single other thing on the planet. So literally just, everything. Yeah, it's just it's just niche. That's all. Anyway, there there is a, a point. In, in the story that they was there, are you sure? How sure are you about that? No, no. In the, in the anime, where like the the main character has a it's a seemingly tragic uh, badminton accident, you know, for his origin story, and so now Brian was like, you know, that's that's kind of badass. I'm going to co op that on my own, and we haven't really fleshed out the details for Brian's tragic backstory. But we'll get there. I just think it's way more interesting than like my current tragic backstory, which is just like. I don't even know how to define, like just like had some potential, but decided to to not use it. Like yeah. the extent of my yep. backstory. So uh, yeah, the tragic badminton accident, way more interesting. It is. And I, your your real backstory, I think a lot of people can relate to, uh, especially True. the magic playing folk. But, you know, this way you get to like rewrite your own history, which I think is cool. Love it. Anyway, uh, yeah, new cards. Wizarding squares, as Brian calls them, lots we, of new wizarding squares, exciting ones too. I think. I, I mean, I'm. It's weird. My perception of this set is off in some ways, and I think that's because like I've seen it before. So I, right. this is my first time experiencing that, and it, to me, it, it has been exciting, but maybe not as much as it should be, given how good these cards are. I think. I mean, what's your kind of read on what's going on? 
Well, we have 216 out of 302 cards. So we're, yep. we're almost done, almost Getting there. Close. I think with basically every set, there has been, you know, some card that like sneaks in at the end that ends up having like a pretty big impact that wasn't, you know, officially previewed during preview season or whatever, like Unholy Heat for MH2 was one yep. of those cards. Yep. And I think there was like a Black Sacrifice card that like also did that. I don't think it was Plum. It was like something that was legitimately good that like people were playing. I don't know if it was like iTwitch or whatever, but you know, things sneak in there. So this is definitely not all of the good cards, but yeah, there's there's plenty of good cards. And we're trying to figure out what cards exactly to, to talk about this week. And we'd already done a pretty big swath of them, I think. But just like mm-hmm. looking at all of these cards and trying to figure out which ones to talk about, it's, it's actually kind of tough, not because like there's nothing. It's just like there's too much. What's very interesting, and I, I agree, but what's very interesting about it is at the same time, I'm still having a hard time envisioning how this slots into standard and like Same. the degree of shaking up standard it's going to do, but it's doing a great job of reaching back to older formats, which I think is like a really big triumph. I think that's a really important thing that sets need to be able to do. They need to hit these ostensibly more popular formats at this point, things like commander, things like modern while still keeping standard balanced. And that's where things like throne of Eldraine failed. They just completely you know, through standard off kilter. I don't see anything like that here, but I do see cards that can make impact in these other formats. So that's really nice to see. I don't know, man. Throne of Eldraine did a pretty good job of impacting older formats too. No, I, I agree. It just <laughs> it destroyed its main format. Although yes. who knows if standard is even the main format anymore. So, you know, maybe all well, those metrics are out the window. When, when that set came out, it was. Yes, for sure. So I, I guess it did its job. It did, it did make it so that was not the case anymore. But uh, yeah, standard's weird because we just had some recent bannings and I hadn't been paying too much attention to the format. I looked at like some of the decks that people were playing and the you know, I have a pretty good idea of like what seems to be doing well, but yep. as far as like actually getting into the nitty-gritty and playing myself, I have not. Do so. you do you have like a you know, a very high level takeaway from what you're seeing in standard? Because I've I've been following results too, like you, not playing, but just keeping track of everything. And uh, I, I think it's Somewhat interesting. I think it's it's better than I expected it to be based on results, quite frankly. But I had a very, just like very low hopes. I, di- I didn't think we actually solved much of the problems that were present. And I, I still kind of feel that way, but it's playing a little bit better than I thought it would, basically. A lot of mid-range. Yes, which I'm, I'm okay with, though. Yes. I think that's fine for standard. Yes, same. That I do not mean to make that sound disparaging in any way. Uh, and a decent amount of control and a decent amount of aggro. So, like... Archetypes are represented, which is awesome. It seems like there is a lot of variety in how you build your decks, at least for uh, the mid-range and control side of things. Aggro decks, maybe not so much, but yep. that's kind of to be expected when it's like mono green, mono white. All, all that stuff seems fine to me. And then in the context of adding this set into the mix, I think that this set has some really good tools to potentially shake things up and give people different incentives, basically, which is nice because it's, hard to get away from some of the stuff that's worth doing in standard. Yeah, that's that's the thing I keep coming back to is I am hopeful there's a lot of cool things I want to build around in this set. I can't bring myself to do it though cuz I don't believe in them yet. 
And maybe once I have the full file in front of me and I can see all the cards again, I will be able to put some more things together. But I'm, you know, some of the cards we'll talk about today, I'll highlight. Oh, I think this would be awesome to build around, but I also don't believe in it whatsoever. And I'm hoping I get to the point where I do believe in some of these ideas. All right. So real quick, what is your plan when the set comes out? Uh, I've been thinking about that. I, and I, I am really torn because honestly, like I was mostly ready to be done with arena. Like I was really upset about the way alchemy has been handled and uh, the way historic. And I, I just like kind of reached a breaking point. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe arena is not the space for me. And yeah, I go back to magic online or, you know, I, I don't even play standard. I just observe and comment in that fashion, which I'm, I'm comfortable doing. I will always probably miss a little something that way, but I can get enough information to do a very effective job. I think in those contexts now, like we get closer and closer and I'm sort of getting that itch a little bit. Like I want to build some of these decks. I want to yep. try them. The I don't, I don't is, know. What to do. I really don't know. The problem is a set like this really exacerbates the already existing issues that arena has because we're looking at a set with power level that seems relatively flat. A lot of appealing cards, yep. a decent amount of them too at higher rarities, not like an overwhelming amount of rares and mythics or anything, but it, it would definitely take a lot to flesh out the ideas that I want to work with. And then there's just no recouping that. Yep. It's another $200 in. Like yes. that's, that's basically what I do every single, it's what I've done every single set. And the problem is once I stop, you can't catch up. I'm not going back at that point. There's almost no chance. So when I make the decision to be done with buying whatever set comes out, that's probably it for me in arena. I don't know. I mean, like maybe there's enough sentiment building along the same lines where magic online can be a little bit more active this standard season early on. Maybe, maybe we can help drive that a little bit and encourage people to think about going back to magic online. I, I just don't know what to do anymore. It's like, I've spent the last week, playing a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. My whole conception of Yu-Gi-Oh has changed, where it was something that I just saw as kind of like, you know, Magic's younger sibling, basically, and never really gave it due respect. And nothing, nothing wrong with being the younger sibling, man. I don't know about that. But I will tell you that my opinion has changed. And I, I think it's a good game. I think there, it's got flaws. It, it does some silly things. But some of its high points are really, really high. But specifically... The client is so generous. Like I have, I have five top tier decks and I spent like a hundred bucks and I don't know when I have to spend money again because I'm getting a steady drip of like new cards. And why would I consent to $200 every set till the end of time? And there's extra sets on top of the four sets already. And if you think this is going to get better, I mean, this is conjecture and, maybe going a little bit further than I need to, but like two new people just got put in charge of wizards. They come from a mobile gaming background yep. and mobile gaming, not in like the really awesome apps that move the entire genre forward mobile gaming in the, Oh, let's figure out how to get some whales and fleece them for a lot of money type yeah. space and strip mining. Yeah, so who knows like where the decision to place those people at the head of the company came from. My guess, complete conjecture, I don't want to like make it sound like I know how this whole process works, but my guess is probably the CEO of Wizards is directed by Hasbro. 
almost entirely. I've, I doubt very little of it is internal decision-making. And if Hasbro says this is going to be the person who's in charge of Wizards and they come from this background, what do you think Hasbro's goals for the Wizards of the Coast ecosystem is? Well, I mean, Chris Cox is now the, the CEO of Hasbro, right? And he was the president of Wizards before. So. Sure. Came from a console gaming background. Sure, but like previously, he, I mean, he steered the ship in the last five years or whatever. So mm-hmm. if he's appointing his replacement or, you know, some amount of like higher ups at Hasbro, that would not surprise me. And then to like reward Chris Cox for the way he handled things also probably means that they want to have someone who's like going to do the same stuff as he did. Right. That would so. be my guess too. Yeah. And to me, that's like going further down the mobile gaming uh, gotcha type approach to things. So I don't think Arena is going to get better. I think it'll probably get worse before it gets better in terms of the way it kind of gouges its most dedicated player base. And at some point, you got to draw lines, Gerald. You just you can't keep pushing them back over and over. At some point, you just have to be like, this is not working for me anymore. And I think we're starting to see a trend where a bunch of people are saying that, you know, there's been talk on Twitter over like Twitch viewership metrics. And quite frankly, most of the top streamers on Twitch for Magic, they're back on Magic Online at this point. They're they're not playing Arena. And there's exceptions, you know, but yeah. you look at Caleb and Aspiring Spike and I know Manguchi and so many other folks who are prominent, a canister. I mean many folks who are prominent in the streaming space are back ma- on Magic Online. Many of those folks did not spend that much time on Arena anyway. Fair. That's unless, fair. Unless there's like, you know, cubes or whatever. But Yeah. No, very true. They they came from Magic Online backgrounds and have mostly stayed there. But it's funny to see like they're the ones who are still succeeding, right? Like yeah. the space hasn't been completely taken over. And the numbers continue to trend down regardless. So I I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Arena. I do know I'm somewhat sick of it. And I have to make a decision when the set drops and I don't know what's going to be yet. I can't answer that question. A thing that popped into my head when we were talking about the Chris Cox stuff, this, this happened like years ago, but I just remember hearing a thing where one of the higher ups at wizards finally figured out how much money clash Royale made at the time. It's like, you know, again, five years ago or something. And then that just became like the driving narrative of just like, how can we do this? You know, just like make as much money as they do. And at the time it didn't really bother me. Cause I was like, you know, what, what are they going to do? You know, it's just like magic is like this paper game and blah, blah, blah. And I, I just kind of forgot about it until like right now. And it's just like, Oh shit, they actually did it. Yeah. Now you see what they're going to do. And yeah. They, so. they did a great job of it too, quite frankly. I mean, it's not what I wanted, but you have to applaud just sheer. Do you, you, don't, you don't have to do applaud you it. You have to hand it to them, Brian. Let's, let's not applaud. Let's acknowledge the sheer raw capitalism that they have driven magic forward with and the dollars they have made. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hand it to them. I'm going to acknowledge it. They did it. Not, I'm not going to hand it to them. Okay. That's all right. We'll talk about their cards though. Their cards are cool. Yep. Agreed. Shout out to the R&D department for- Love them. My favorite department at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, is it my favorite? It's probably my favorite. I've heard good things about the uh, cafeteria staff, but I haven't been there myself, so I, I can't comment on them. Uh, I haven't been there in eight years. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but They're probably a little outdated. It was, it was like grilled cheese Wednesday. Love it. 
Love grilled cheeses. Yeah. So were they good grilled cheeses? Dude. Yeah. Okay. They're, awesome. They were hella good. They made uh like a, a cinnamon apple cider also that was just bomb. Okay. So dude, the cafeteria was nice. And yeah, yeah. That's, pre- that's pretty flashy for an employee cafeteria. Like that's above and beyond, I would say. Yeah, it was not bad. It was not bad at all. Uh, whenever I was like, you know, short on time to get lunch because I had to finish something or like a meeting ran over. So I was not upset. I was just like, I'll just go down to the cafeteria, no big. So I had, I've had two experiences with employee cafeterias, basically. One was when I worked in a casino in Las Vegas that basically felt like getting the casino buffet all the time, which I didn't, I didn't mind. Um, I mean, there was always a lot of options and I always found something to eat. The other one was at my law firm in New York city where it was kind of incredible, the stuff you got. And it was really cheap too, for some reason, like, like these people needed it to be really cheap, but it was just super affordable and made fresh all the time and really talented cooks working. So I am very pro employee cafeteria. If you can find a place, a work environment where you get one of those, I say go for it. Agreed. Because uh, my my other option was like going to Jimmy John's. So not good. Yeah, don't love the Jimmy John's. Julie's Cafe A plus plus. All right, Wizarding Squares. Yes, finally. Mix of cards from both Brian and I. Just mostly to generate discussion. This is not uh, our our top ten or top 20 or anything yeah. like that. Next week, I'm assuming we'll be ready for that. Yeah, probably. So we're just going to talk about some stuff that looks interesting and in no particular order because we are lazy. Yes. First up, MindLink Mech. To you, Artifact Vehicle 4-3 flying. Whenever this becomes crewed for the first time each turn until end of turn, this becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature that crewed it this turn, except it's 4-3. It's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types, and it has flying, and it has crew 1. I think vehicles as a type often play far better than we expect them to. Now, I'm also thinking of some exceptions to that. Cosmina comes to mind. Just a complete fail. Never did anything. That Card vehicle that. was good. It seemed like it. Did not see any play. Uh, context is everything, of course, but... There have been there have been vehicle misses before. This one interests me for a few reasons. First, that crew cost extremely extremely low, inherently evasive. So the flying is tacked on. That's been important in the past for very successful vehicles, and it's very easy to see units that benefit from crewing this mind link mech. There is like, for instance, uh, one one double striking equipmenty thing in red. Forget what it's called. But it's not the Lizard Blades. Is it the Lizard Blades? Maybe it is. Yeah. It is the Lizard Blades. Okay. Uh, So Lizard Blades is a one colorless red artifact creature equipment lizard. Double strike equipped creature has double strike and it reconfigures for two. But that could hop right into this mind link mech and you'll have a four three flying double striker on curve. That's great on defense. Great on offense. I think there's probably things you can do. You know, with on-hit triggers, there's obviously all the ninjutsu stuff here. So getting them to this mind link mech and getting their triggers is very important since most of them don't have any natural evasion. They kind of just do their thing and that you're supposed to get them through with the ninjutsu ability, not necessarily their own text. So I think this could have some applications. And also it's very clear that vehicles is being set up for the first time, I think it's an archetype. Like there's support for the vehicle tribe, if you will. And I, I think this could be a key part of that. Uh, I mean, there was Depala and 
R-Dub 3-1, you know, there, there was like some vehicle type stuff. Like those cards eventually got cut for just like raw rate stuff. Yeah, something about that feels different. Like this seems more about the vehicles and that seemed more about the pilots to me. I, yeah, that's Maybe fair. that's, that's fair. a little off, but. No, that, that makes sense to me. I get that. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Like there's definitely a lot of vehicles matter stuff. Mine Lake Mac is is definitely like a, a very like solid looking build around card too. So I, mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. I, I do feel like the vehicles probably matter more than the pilots. And I mean, it, the pilots have text, right? It's like you're trying for the mech. Obviously, you want something something with appealing text on it to copy. And I mean, if not, you have a crew one four three flyer, right? Yep. So it's still not that bad. But no, not at all. The, the pilots are just like I crew bigger vehicles than my power indicates or whatever. It's not super flashy, whereas the vehicles look like the flashy cards. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited to see what we do when we get uh, all the pieces to these vehicles. And this isn't the only vehicle I want to talk about today. So there's there's other interesting ones out there as well. Reinforced Ronin. R22, artifact creature, human samurai, haste. At the beginning of your end step, return this to your hand. Channel, 1R, discard this, draw a card. Do you think this card is actually good? I do. And after I say that, I'm also going to admit I'm very bad at... <laughs> rating these type of cards. It's just not my wheelhouse. I have a hard time uh, with sort of the, the aggro math, I guess, but obviously extremely explosive on turn one. Uh, it will cost you mana throughout the game. If you're going to keep going back to it, well, we have to go back to it. Hold on. Define explosive. Well, two, two. I mean, that's the best aggro creature ever. One mana, two, two haste, right? Yeah. But then it sets you back. And then it sets you back. So it's not, it, it's not explosive. Like, yeah, you're getting like a good rate on that turn, but. Well, so here's the thing. Depending on how games play out, so much of Goblin Guide's impact was like in that first attack. And then second attack, it's about the removal spell or it's getting brick walled very quickly. And if you go like Goblin Guide, Goblin Guide, you're in a very good situation. You can still kind of go Goblin Guide, Goblin Guide here. You eat your first two turns, accomplish nothing. And basically, you've just played two Lava Spikes. Now, in older formats, I'd be like, that's not worth it. I'm not interested. In something like Standard, that's a really nice start. And you haven't actually committed any material at that point. Like, you have the threat of doing this again, or you turn this into another card, which I think is where the draw really comes from for me. And if I I have a problem with not analyzing these type of cards well, another thing I do somewhat poorly is when you give me value when you give me an out for a card to not become invalidated yeah i get way more excited about it and this does that trick so i am i am willing to be tricked by this card i guess when i say i think it's very good if i get it wrong i won't be completely shocked but to me it's got all the pieces i need in a card like this i don't think this card is necessarily bad but in in the instances you're describing where it's like oh yeah, I just spend all my mana to like shock them maybe and hope that they don't play like a werewolf pack leader or whatever. It's just like, I'm envisioning how the games are playing out and it doesn't seem like it is great to like lead with this thing. I think that this is a fine thing to like add to the board on turn three and like kill a blocker and attack with some of the creatures that you already have. I think that this is like a reasonable way to get around sweepers and stuff. I don't think this is like a four of, you know, it's like maybe a two of or something. 
really love it in the context where you're playing against just pure control. Like it absolutely yes. shines there, right? Yeah. And maybe maybe that's the role. Maybe it's a sideboard card for those matchups, and you just bring in four of these things. And then you have a really really strong plan against them that lines up very well against any kind of sorcery speed removal they're leaning on. And obviously, sorcery speed removal is a big part of control's plan these days. The instant stuff doesn't happen as often. Uh, that'll depend on the format. The tools are there if you want them, so that'll all have to be shook out. But I, I don't know. I would be surprised if this card saw no play, and I would be less surprised if it was an important card in the format. That's where I fall on it. Yeah, that's fair. It's just like the red decks, like, yeah, they do just like lava spike you or whatever, but like part of what makes them so good is that they are mana efficient in most instances, Mm -hmm. and they're able to like get under their opponents and kill them before they're able to deploy their more powerful cards. And this card definitely does not help you do that by itself which is why I don't necessarily like it or like the idea of like loading up on a bunch of them. And then it's like, oh, well, my opponent has like, you know, two, three threes to block. You're like spending your mana cycling this thing away when you're then just getting pounded, you know? So yep, it's just falling further behind. It's like it, it has appealing text, but it's also just like so mana intensive that it, it seems hard for me to believe. But like there, there are also like other good red one drops in the set. So if this is a thing that you play on top of those cards and not as a thing that you're trying to like jam on turn one, uh, then I'm more about it. I I guess there's also a world too, where like you talk about what makes red decks good and it's, it's the mana efficiency. I agree with you, but also red decks aren't very good right now. So maybe they need to reclaim a new identity and maybe this needs support of a different nature than what we've seen for red. I mean, the red decks of the past few standards have been like reach card advantage focus, right? Yes. But they're still about playing to the board and being able to like morph into a control deck and stuff. And like this just doesn't do any of that. Right. But that's my point. Like maybe that's what new red decks have to do to succeed in this very different environment than we've seen previously. Sure. Uh, I, I think of like the, the red deck I was playing in Alchemy, like that sort of thing. Like I, yeah. I definitely like that sort of red deck where like all of your cards are hard hitting. You have a bunch of burn spells. You have like bigger cards in your sideboard, some card advantage stuff. Uh, I like those. I think that that type of deck would be successful. We're just missing the cards in actual standard. And the stuff in this set is really focused towards like pure aggression. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we'll be really shifting our red focus all that much. I could buy that. But again, you know, we still have almost 100 cards left to go. So anything could happen. Very true. Uh, Blade of the Oni. 1B, artifact creature, equipment demon, 3-1, menace, Equipped creature has base power and toughness 5-5, has menace, and is a black demon in addition to its other colors and types, and you can reconfigure for 2BB. So a 2-mana 3-1 menace, pretty solid, and then uh, later on, it can potentially turn something else into a 5-5. I I feel like this card is going to disappoint in standard. Likely. These cards almost always do, it feels like. But it's really interesting how Stoneforge Mystic is diversifying its suite so dramatically where oh. I, I, I think like you have to go back and look at what those those decks are all capable of. And can they play like more aggressive game plans? Can they just load up on these equipment creatures and like I, I don't know, look to get more value out of Stoneforge via blinking or recycling? All these paths are very interesting to me feels a little underpowered for modern. I wish there was like a, a little bit safer format for Stoneforge Mystic, but if Stoneforge Mystic was there, it wouldn't be a very safe format. So that doesn't really work out. I'm curious though. I'm curious what you can do with Stoneforge in these scenarios. Vile 
once all of your equipment are also creatures is yeah. pretty cool because yeah, you can cool. spend your mana equipping. Yep. That gives you a bunch of artifacts. That means you can play Urza Saga. So Got the I, wheels turning. I think that's a solid like tier three in modern, but it's something. The interesting thing that I thought of when you brought up Stoneforge Mystic is uh, I was building like some of the, the grief ephemerate decks mm-hmm. initially early on. And it was like, man, all like trying to get the right amount of like black and white cards is super tough. And you always see these decks just playing like some really miserable cards, honestly. And sometimes you have a Stoneforge package and I was looking for a black equipment that I could Stoneforge for. And I think the only one I found was just like really, really unplayable. Yeah, I can envision one in my head and I don't know the name of it. So that means it must not be very good. This one is not incredible or anything, but this is a, a pretty reasonable card that you could like Stoneforge for and then grief away pretty easily. So, yeah, uh, that, that works for me. Slight boost there. So perhaps destined to see modern play. Maybe. And I, I like the ability to like sink all that mana into it and make a 5-5 five, five with Menace. You know, that sizing can be awkward. So, well, that's sort of changed with things like Unholy Heat. It used to be like Batter Skull sizing would give some decks problems in the past. Yeah. Uh, when you got to 4-4 four, four, and this being 5-5 five, five is even bigger, obviously. I, I think that issue has mostly been taken care of at this stage in the format. But I, I don't know. There's obviously a bunch of options to consider in this equipment creature space. So I want to check all of them with Stoneforge. 2 mana, 3-1 with Menace, is not terrible. Like, the, the random 3-1s with no combat ability are generally pretty bad, but, like, this this actually does get in for a decent amount of damage, you know? Yeah, or possibly trade for two creatures, you know? it's Yeah, it maybe. Happen. I could see that, I guess. Uh, so this, I'm not I'm not going to write this one off. Uh, it really depends on what the rest of the, the black aggro type of stuff looks like, and, mm. you know, two mana, three power, that could, like, potentially crew some important stuff, so. Yep. Maybe Very not true. the worst thing. Yep. Uh, Shigeki, Jukai Visionary, 1G, 1-3, Legendary Enchantment Creature Snake Druid, 1G, tap, return this to its owner's hand, reveal the top four cards of your library, you may put a land among them onto the battlefield tapped, put the rest into your graveyard, channel XXGG, discard this, return X target non-legendary cards from your graveyard to your hand. This card is weird. This is going right next to the reality chip in cards I just absolutely love and are exactly good enough to make me waste a bunch of wild cards and never win with them. Like this this payout seems so, so impactful for your two mana creature. It's just glacial, absolutely yes. glacial. And, you know, in some environments, that's fine. You can get away with that. In what standard does it like recently? I'm less convinced you can get away with this. Like this is the mid rangiest tool possible, basically, and is so so powerful when it's doing its thing. And again, you're you're putting that late game value on a card. Like I'm doing my thing early and ramping in the late game. I turn this into the best spells in my graveyard, and that's really appealing to me. I just think it's a huge huge mana investment and probably not going to work out. I would love to try it though. I think this could be fine as like a one or two of in most of the green decks because I don't know, say say you're playing like Jasper Sentinel Magda or something in standard. And then it's like, do you play Prosperous Innkeeper? Like past that, you don't really have a lot of good options. So it's like a, a couple copies of this might be fine. And then if you have excess mana, all right, yeah, you go digging for a land and maybe you have some other ways to incidentally ramp to. I mean, like Jasper, Magda, if left unchecked, can end up with a bunch of treasures, right? Mm-hmm. And I could see 
the channel just like being game winning if if the game has played sure. out a certain way. Like there are enough games that like come kind of come to a stalemate. You just like don't have anything really relevant in your graveyard. But like if the game has actually been going on and you have like eight cards in your graveyard, obviously you're gonna have like a lot of good targets for this thing, which is cool. And then I don't know if there's some sort of like combo deck that could use this or if there is just like a bigger ramp deck that could, but it's like, ah, I see potential. It's just like not really what any of these formats are about. So it probably right. takes some other help. In a world where decks were still capable of running out of things to do, this would be one of the most incredible cards you could ever put together. The decks don't do that anymore. You just never run out of stuff to do. There's always something to do with your mana. There's always card advantage to be gained. Every creature has a spell attached to it. And you almost never run out of cards in hand, especially in like, slower mid-range decks, the type of which would be interested in something like Shigeki. So you go back 10 years, this card's mind-blowing. You come to now, I am less convinced it's going to do anything, but I really want it to. Like, I want it really badly. Uh, similar to the the R2-2, it's just like, this is uh, just so much mana to like keep doing its thing. It's yes, it ridiculous. is. Yes, it is. Reminds you of like, the least efficient thawing glaciers ever. Yes. And that card was already kind of like on the slow side. Do you do not slander thawing glaciers, man. I know. I look, I come from the thawing glaciers era as well. I, I have a lot of affection for that card, but it took its time. It was not in any rush. True. Reckoner bank buster, uh, two mana for a four, four artifact vehicle. This enters the battlefield with three charge counters on it. You can pay two tap. Remove a charge counter from this, draw a card. Then, if there are no charge counters on this, create a treasure token and a 1-1 colorless pilot creature token with this creature cruise vehicles as though its power were two greater and it has crew three. This this is here for you. I, this is, I saw this and I was like, this is a Gerald card. For me? Well, for you. This is treasure map. Are you kidding me? This is your jam. This is not treasure map. This is my end up seeing more play than treasure map, but it's not treasure map. Treasure map, Maze Mine Tome, it's exactly in those same veins, except with a weirdo payout in the end, as opposed to a flash of mana or whatever it was we would get from those cards. But the slow artifact that gets you both battlefield presence and payout in terms of card advantage, that's not right up your alley? Dude, I just want to crew this thing and attack them. Okay, well, you can do that too. You can do whatever you want. All these options are available and... uh High crew cost, I'll say, but there's a lot of ways to cheat on those in this set. And you get to crew it itself if you go through the steps and take all three right. cards off of it. And, you know, you ever get full payout from this card, you've gotten a lot of material from your two drops. Yes. So. I, I think it is interesting that you can play this as like a Maze Mind Tome type of thing that can eventually kill them. Yeah. Uh, just because it, it, you know, works with itself, basically. But I don't know, man. Maze Mind Tome... You almost always like weaved in a, a free scry in there that helped you hit your land drops, the the gaining for life, like that that mattered. Obviously, this can like kind of help stabilize you in a weird way too. But I, I would say that this is definitely no treasure map. I could see playing it as like a maze mind tome. Certainly, I don't know if you're playing like control mirrors or whatever, like maybe this is solid. Yeah. Uh, but I just want this in my beatdown deck, and then when they stabilize, you have something to do with your mana. Yeah, that's a cool thing to do with it for sure. Very much part of that vehicles deck we mentioned earlier, I think. And another one of those cards where I'm like, I just hope I can do something with this. I I think slow but powerful is kind of the tagline for this set. Like it, you can get really good payouts from these cards. It just takes time. And I don't know if the time is there in present standard. 
which means we should be looking for something that kind of breaks that paradigm. I, I agree with you. That's how you get ahead is you, uh, you know, go one way where everyone else is going the other way. Next up is Reality Heist. 5UU Instant uh, uh, effectively has affinity for artifacts. This spell costs one less to cast for each artifact you control. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal up to two artifact cards from among them. Put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I remember when I was working on the set, this was one of the cards that frightened me. It, I think it's changed in this come-to-print version. Did it not find only artifacts before? I think it was a mana more or a mana less. I'm sorry. Okay. But, if I but, recall correctly. Okay. But same function. Yeah. yeah. That that was frightening to me. This is still a little frightening to me. I mean, I don't have something to do with this right now, but if you go back five years ago and you got to put this card in like KCI, it seems incredible there. Yes. And I, I think like in general – the Mox Opal decks that existed in the modern format would have loved this card. Now that has changed. We don't have Mox Opal anymore. And that means this card has gotten, I would say dramatically worse. That doesn't mean there's no way to do this type of stuff. And I'm, I'm always like looking at weird, uh, like underworld breach stuff in the historic space. And that is often built on things like Mox Amber. So there's, there's close proximities to reality heist, I, I would say, like, or, or excuse me, they're like KCI style decks that exist out there, but none of them are going to leverage this card quite as well. So my instinct is like, this is mostly fine. It, you have to have a very specific deck to benefit from this. But if that deck comes along, reality heist could be a super powerful card in it. The fact that it only finds artifacts was the biggest issue for me. At first, like you read this card and it's like, oh yeah, I could probably find a, a deck for this. It seems pretty powerful, pretty interesting. And then... I actually went and tried to build some modern decks and mostly came up short. I am not surprised. I think it requires a very specific set of circumstances. And if those circumstances are met, Reality Heist is going to be in trouble. I think like this dooms any talk of ever taking the artifact lands off the modern ban list. I would, I would not do that anymore. I think that would be a huge mistake given that this card exists. Although I don't think that was ever happening anyway, so that's not really a big deal. Yeah, I mean, th- I like Thought Monitor. is just a card where it's like, well, I probably not want to unban Seed of the Side Nod. Agreed. I agree entirely, and this only furthers that. So I, I don't expect immediate things from this card. It'll be something, though, that I will keep in my memory banks for a long time. There, there are some decks that I came up with. One is Paradox Engine because, like KCI, yep. a lot of its setup and its payoff are artifacts. And that's kind of the key with this because you were talking about underworld breach and it's like, well, this card can never find breach. So it kind of defeats the purpose. There are also some like Karn based artifact prison decks, which maybe this is okay. in. it seems kind of weird because, you know, it doesn't find Karn and you're generally an ensnaring bridge deck, but this is like a draw to an ensnaring bridge deck, which can be fine if it's like the last card you cast, you know, because then you just like play out your stuff immediately. But if you're like putting more cards into your hand in your ensnaring bridge deck, it's weird. Lantern Control is another spot where this would have shined too. So, well, yeah, Lantern was kind of on my list too, where it's like, yeah, all the all the things are relevant artifacts, and at least for that, it's like you play bridge, and then the next turn you're pretty good at just like dumping your entire hand. And it's it's possible that this, you know, maybe is not a four of or whatever, but like as a two of sure. that deck, yep. or maybe it's like a sideboard plan against Kolagon's command type of things or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So there, there was some stuff where I was like, ah, maybe, you know, I was trying to, 
do thop your sword things, uh, but it doesn't get the third piece unless your third piece is like time sieve, you know, because it's never going to find Urza or like the thing that makes you infinite mana. Right. Uh, and then I was like, is there something you can do with Academy Manufacturer? And then I was just like, I'm tired. I'm done. <laughs> That's enough. I've, I've done enough reality heisting. I'll let someone else figure it out. Yep. So I, I did. I, I think my due diligence. We'll see. But uh, I, I tried, kind of failed. I, I ultimately feel like this is a, a role player that is almost certainly fine within the context of the format now. Could potentially be busted if, like you said, we had something like KCI. Yep. Cool. Oh, my favorite card. Uh, Otawara, Soaring City uh, is a legendary land. It taps for you, and you can channel for three you. Discard this, return target artifact creature enchantment or planeswalker to its owner's hand. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Your favorite card. Go off. I, I tweeted about it already, man. I'm sorry. Did I, did I kill the content for this week? You kind of did, but that's okay. Some people don't follow you on Twitter, probably. I have to, listen I have to, to the tweet show. occasionally, you know? I have to tweet constantly. I understand. Well, I, I, I know where it's coming from. You don't, but I'm just I'm just hemorrhaging followers, man. Because right. I just I don't I don't ever say anything. So well, I'm I'm accumulating them. So who's who's winning that Twitter now, Joe? Yeah, clearly, clearly you, man. Uh, no, it's it's clearly you actually. So I, I get these like thoughts, these like snarky thoughts or whatever, sometimes like mean things. I don't know. I generally send them to Brian on Discord. And this time I sent it to, to Brian and was like, no, nah, I'm just I'm going to tweet this, you know, even though it's it's like kind of weird. Uh, but like my my premise was that this is my favorite card so far because it means that people might play fewer copies of Castle Vantress in their modern decks. And I think that Castle Vantress is already pretty mediocre because it's such a huge investment, but it also just like mana screws you if you don't build your deck correctly. And there are so many decks I see where it's like, 20 lands, 11 islands, and three castle vantresses. And it's like, how does this not ever just like ETB tapped and like completely mess you up? You know, like if people just never had that experience, I don't understand. So at least if you're playing this instead of Vantress, uh, ETB is untapped. Agreed. That's it? That's all you got for me? Yeah, that's it. What, do you think I was going to troll you or do something juvenile and try and argue in favor of castle vantress no i mean you you have no good argument you know that you would lose that debate (laughs) i do know that i take up enough losing positions where i i can let a castle vantress slander go by so yeah like me me tweeting that was like kind of weird because it's like we only really talk about on the podcast and not everyone who like follows my twitter listens to the podcast it's like i say this thing that's kind of like weird and they're gonna be like what the hell does that mean you know so i don't know whatever i tweeted it got like medium traction I think that the miscommunication aspect is part of the fun of Twitter. Okay, so you you are just sowing chaos. S- to some extent, yes. I, I often like to sow chaos a bit, blur the lines, if you will, something I find very interesting. Do I mean this? Do I not mean this? It's always a mystery. So I don't I don't like that, man. I want to like present myself and I want to always be myself. I don't want people to have a reason to like think ill of me or think that I'm something I'm not. See, I see it as a form of absurdist humor, which I know you hate. You have you have no love whatsoever for absurdist humor, whereas I am a large fan of it. So I, I think there's something to be said for the, uh, like, do you know, no, there's no chance you know who Tim Heidecker is. No. A, 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 like a comedian, basically, but plays 
plays it straight always. Like, so you're not quite sure if yeah. he's ever genuine. And I, I think he's one of the more brilliant people out there. He did like a parody of uh, a Joe Rogan show type podcast and just nails it. I, I think you would appreciate this bit of humor. I'm going to yeah. send you okay. that tweet. But yeah, that's that's kind of my my MO on the Twitter space. Yeah, so the problem is is that if people don't know that I'm coming from that, then it's very confusing, right? Yes. And I yes. also I also think that like people don't necessarily know that you're coming from that in a lot of I know. instances. I know. So I don't it's know. Probably man. confusing. I I don't necessarily care about putting like my best self forward, but I want to put myself forward, you know? Can that type of like deconstructionist dual nature can that be your real self can it be someone's real self maybe not your real self i mean it 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 can be part of you but then i think you are preventing people from actually seeing the real you if like that is your go-to every time is to you know give them like a a 60 40 and they have to decide like what you Mm -hmm. actually mean or care about right Mm -hmm. it's like they might know what kind of humor you appreciate and like oh you're like a a fun, jovial person or whatever, but they, they don't know you. And granted, this is coming from someone who feels like very few people in the world actually know me. Right. But like, right. I would like that number to go up and that requires people paying a lot of attention and, and caring, which I don't think that people necessarily do, but it, it's so much murkier when you start going down that path just for like some jokes, you know? It's interesting. See, I, I think to me, uh, maybe maybe this is straight a little far from the podcast. I, I think existence is inherently absurd. And so I lean on that a bunch to kind of make sense of it. So if I, that is clear. I, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, that's that's not really my my coping mechanism or whatever. Right. But I, I definitely agree with you that just like somewhat like we're, we're here, like we're talking through our computers. Like, how did we even get here? What is the point? You know, nothing makes sense. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm, dude, I'm right there with you. Just, you know, if I, if I ever sat down and like thought about it, I would be like very, very confused. Yeah. You just don't tweet through it. Like I do. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the different point. Yeah. Instead, it's like most of the stuff that I tweet through or, or, or tweet about are just, you know, things that are stemming from decisions that humans made. Yeah. You know, and like that is not super absurdist because humans, humans are humans, right? It's like they're, they're very complex, but also like pretty simplistic where it's like, so many of the decisions that get made can be distilled into money, right? Of course, yeah. So it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's like a lot of stuff I don't know and like uh, a lot of factors that went into this, but ultimately like you're greedy, you know? And like, that's just what it comes down to. And it's, it's pretty simple once you distill that down uh, for like human nature compared to like the existence of the universe or whatever. That's true. It's definitely a, a good framework for approaching things and one that hits more often than it misses, I would say. Yes. And occasionally you're surprised, right? It's like, oh, you did this thing because I thought X, Y, and Z. And it was like, oh, I just didn't even think about this other thing. And like, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. For the most part, Occam's razor does apply uh, in, in terms of humans. So it's, it's easier to grasp for me. It's funny how both similar and different we are in our approaches to things. <laughs> like I think at our core – we're very similar people, but the way we go about things is just night and day. Yeah. I, I'm sure we have like a lot of the same feelings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And certainly this similar views on things and everything, but you're just like out here shit posting and I'm just like, I should just not tweet 
<laughs> you're like under the blankets, just huddled up in a ball being like, oh, I just want to be left alone. Yeah. I'm just going to catch some Pokemon and, you know, go to sleep. Hopefully when I wake up, things will be fun. I, I get that approach too. Uh, Lion Sash. Yeah. Lion Sash. One dub, one, one artifact creature, equipment, cat, dub, exile target card from a graveyard. It w- if it was a permanent card, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on this. Reconfigure two. So kind of a scavenging use. Stoneforge Mysticable. Very good. I don't know. I just love this card. I think it does so much cool stuff and great to see white getting an effect like this. I am sure this matters in older formats. I, now that you talked about like Ether Vial doing this stuff very effectively, I'm really interested in how good this deck could actually be because there there is something to that idea of Stoneforge Mystic being both put into play by Ether Vile and getting things that can be further Ether Viled. And if it's stuff like Lion Sash, which you know addresses a pretty fundamental problem in the modern format, you often have to control your opponent's graveyard to find success. I I don't I, I believe in this card. I think this is an important card going forward. I don't know that it has like again an immediate home in standard where it's sort of vulnerable and graveyards are less a thing and it can't be tutored up by Stoneforge Mystic, but surely like the rate is still good enough for it to matter in that space as well. I have to assume. I, I don't think it's like a format all star, but there should be occasional Lion Sash play. Uh, if not now, then at some point when maybe graveyards do become more important. Think uh, historic is probably the spot for it. Okay, yeah, or like Pioneer, Pioneer too. Yeah, but yeah, may- yeah, maybe not. Maybe not standard because these things don't matter as much, and like there's not really a mid rangey white deck at the moment. It, it is mostly just about jackal pups and killing people, and this mm-hmm. sort of effect is pretty solid there. But it's not like the best thing you could be doing. Right. Very again, very mana intensive. Right. <laughs> you got to kind of build it up over time, and if you want to move it around, that takes mana and a little slow on the uptake. So. Another card, very much the same way, but despite being slow, this one I think does have a very important home in the older formats because of what it targets, even if it does it slowly. It's it's not super slow because you get to weave the mana in whenever you have an excess. Sure. You know, and then it's like, well, I could, you know, spend a couple of mana, make this a 3-3, three, three, and then now it's pretty reasonable in combat, or you also have the threat of activating, which means that they can't block it, right? So... Yeah, what do you make of the difference between like scavenging news only grows off of creatures, this grows off of any permanent? Do you think that's significant in terms of how big Lion Sash is going to get? It depends on the format, right? Because there's like fetch lands and stuff. So this this right. thing could just get enormous. But uh for for the most part, I think that they'll be pretty similar. I okay. one of the aspects about scavenging news I liked a lot is like the incidental like three life that you gain that helps you stabilize that this doesn't have. So it's not like a pure mid-range card where it's like, oh, you're happy to include this basically no matter what, just because it kind of has like all these different things. So uh, I think this is better as like a grizzly bear, uh, you know, even though it's a one, one, but like, you know what I mean? Two drop that, uh, that grows and like threatens to do stuff. And eventually maybe you put this on a flyer or something, but maybe a little bit better in in decks that are creature decks versus like controller mid-range. Sure. Sure. I see that. Yeah, definitely very good. Uh, White white certainly needs more stuff like this, so I'm super, super happy to see it. Same. Probably my favorite card in the set thus far. Mine's Otawara, Soaring okay. City. Okay. Because Castle Mantra sucks. Yep, yep, I remember. Hotshot Mechanic, dub, 2-1, Artifact Creature, Fox Pilot. This crews vehicles as though its power were too greater. I kind of yeah, I, I hate this mechanic, but like this card is 
pretty strong. It's it's weird. It's it's something to keep track of where the numbers don't actually line up with what they do, which I, I'm never a huge fan of. But there's still got to be some use for Savannah Lions with upside, I, I think. I am hopeful that this card can matter. I, I hope we can make a really good deck out of this, you know, a very p- sort of pre-built thing. And it feels like the pre-built things haven't been good in a long time. They just never quite come together. I would be fine if this one does. I think it's unique enough that having a very good vehicle deck that like starts on curve with hotshot mechanic and it's pretty aggressive, that appeals to me. So I, I hope we get there. Do you remember food? I do remember food. <laughs> that was I the don't thing, think that was the thing that was pretty good. Yeah, but I don't uh, I don't think the food deck was about food though. Do you know what I mean? No, like, but it was pre-built. Well, only because all the cards were broken. Yes. It wasn't pre-built around like a synergy, which is how I think pre-builds are supposed to work. It was just, here are the most ridiculous cards you could ever imagine. Also, they all reference food. So go to town. Yeah. Trail of Crumbs is like the only one where it's like, okay, I guess technically you need things that like make food to make this good. But it's like Cat Oven didn't really have to do with food. No. Oko didn't really have to do with food. Yeah. They were just the best cards. Right. Yeah. I I, I see what you mean. I, I think that this card... Certainly, like, Savannah Lines is already solid, right? And then it, it has this ability where, I don't know, we just need to see if there's, like, a good Crew 3, Crew 4 vehicle, something that matters that you would actually want to play in your deck if you don't happen to have this. And then maybe this is yep. just kind of, like, easy mode for some stuff. Yep. So. Exactly. I, I believe in these cards so far. I hope so. I hope you're right. Moon Snare Prototype. You, Artifact, tap, and tap an untapped artifact or creature you control, add colorless, Channel for you, discard this. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Nobody seems particularly excited about this card. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of buzz around it. I think this is the best card in this set for modern by far. I I think it's incredible in that format, doing like Urza type stuff. Urza has not been a thing for quite some time. I think Moonsnare prototype in and of itself could make it a thing again. Being able to leverage all the weird rocks that are around, things like Mishra's Bauble. Now, granted, you don't get to cash in your Mishra's Bauble right away if you're going to go ahead and tap it to leverage Moonstare Prototype. Well, but, if you have Thought Monitor, you know, you might want to okay. keep it around anyway. Very true. Very true. And this obviously contributes to your Thought Monitor counts and ramps you twice. And then is a removal spell? Like, that seems like a lot for a spring leaf drum analog and granted you know spring leaf drums job in a lot of instances was to fix your mana but if that's not a concern you have if you're in this blue based artifact archetype it's hard for me to imagine doing much better than moon snare prototype and i think people should be more into this card i'm kind of surprised it hasn't gotten the buzz i thought it would so people don't seem to be really hype or like talking up modern cards in standard sets on Twitter and the like. I think those discussions happen somewhere else. Okay. Uh, because it, it's, it's inevitable that if there is a card that is going to impact modern on day one, you see it in the queues a lot of the time, you know, you see it in the league results and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, there wasn't a lot of hype around it because like the standard talk just generally eclipses it. So there's kind of like no point. It's like, now oh. why, why is that still the case if, if we accept, and we don't have to accept this, but I just think like the narrative is standard is not as popular as modern at this point and certainly not as popular as, you know, things like commander. So is it just our spheres where standard is still the dominating topic? It's, or? it's just the, the loudest people for the most part because okay. – 
I, I think for like us as like content creators, it makes sense to like hype standard because it's like brand new, like, you know, more, more things from this set would, would impact standard than modern. Right. So it's like every day, every couple of days you get to talk about like a new card and it's this ongoing conversation. Whereas, you know, this, this, or like cultivator clauses in amulet, for example, is just like, yeah, okay. Someone makes one tweet about it and then like the, the discussion dies. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that is pretty similar to like what's happening here. Like, I think that people are excited about this card. Okay. And for what it's worth, like if you want this to be part of your artifact deck in standard, I think it can be too. Like I, this card seems completely good enough to do that job to me. Yeah. It just depends on what the artifact deck actually looks like. And reality Heist is the same thing where I was trying to do it in a modern context and haven't really looked at all of the artifacts that exist in standard. Yeah. I mean, you know, just doing the the quick buzz through here, we have our Moonsnare prototype. We have our Mindlink mech. We have uh, our, our treasure map silly thing we have lion sash is another artifact also a creature we can go i mean like our savannah lion that cruise is also an artifact so the artifacts really run deep in this set and we can get those counts pretty high yeah i agree with that it's just like reality heisting into a savannah lions is not super exciting. exciting i agree with you I agree. We don't need to do more than that. Uh, we also have like portable hole for removals. So you want to go real hard on the artifact synergies. You can kind of do so. I wonder what we're going to have when Brothers War comes around. Which yeah. We would anticipate would be an artifact centric set and a lot of artifact support already. So uh, in addition to Reality Heist, I wrote about Prototype this week. Okay. And all, all my decks looks may, maybe not busted, but definitely like this is very good. It, it just fixes so many problems where before a card like Nettle Cyst, for example, where I was like, yeah, this is big, but it's just like so slow that unless things are already going pretty well for you, it doesn't really accomplish much. But when you just get to like jam it on turn two, it's suddenly a lot more palatable. Totally agree. I, I mean, I think like all those decks we mentioned before, too, and obviously not KCI, but something like Lantern, which really has struggled under the absence of Mox Opal, something like the classic Urza decks this could just be what it was missing. I, I think it really could be that simple. And yes, one is infinitely more than zero for sure. I'm not trying to say this is the same card as Mox Opal, but I mean, you, you need a way to go to three basically. And you need a way to go to four. And if you can do so effectively with something like Moonstar prototype, I start to believe again, this, this pays for itself in some instances, certainly if you mm-hmm. draw it later, right? So it's like Mox Opal that ETBs tapped in, in a lot of cases, but it's also easier to enable than Mox Opal in some instances. For sure, for sure. And it's fine in multiples. I don't know. It's like the thing that like sets you up, whereas like Opal kind of did its job once you already had some semblance of a board position. Okay. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't really going to make mana on turn two every single time. Whereas this card probably will. I, I would assume so, yeah. And, and then it gets to be a removal spell, which is like the, por- the part we keep glazing over and is just... It's because it's like... There are so many cases where if you if you draw it in like the first four turns, you're probably casting it, right? And then the removal spell is pretty expensive and is only going to happen on like turn seven. So it's like it's not going to happen in a ton of games. It's not, but you think about the scenarios that Urza routinely gets itself into yes. where you're just completely mana rich. And before you pull a Moxa Opal off the top and it's like you could almost always convert it into something like it was not – entirely useless but it was mostly useless now when you're pulling moonsnare prototype off the top i think that's entirely different and you can use it you know 
various resets. And the fact that it hits any non-land permanent in blue is also a big deal as well. Like you're dealing with all of your problem permits that you could potentially face. So so I almost had a lantern deck in my article, but for the most part, it was like, I don't know, cut four cards, add four of this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not super interesting, but I definitely agree that it helps there. And lantern was always a deck that was like, oh, I guess I have to main deck like some assassin trophies right. or whatever. Right, yeah. Uh, so this this kind of like fills that, that gap. And for things like Urza, I think this is incredible for making it so that you can turn three Urza pretty consistently. Like some of those lists were even playing Talisman or Progress to be able to do that. You know, yeah. like this is certainly much better than that. And then uh, this works with Paradox Engine. So I included one of those decks and like got the nice. yeah. Reality Heist in there. And it was like, I I really don't know how to build this deck, but whatever. And then I had like an Azorius Beatdown deck, which I think is pretty good. I had a Thopter Foundry deck, which seems pretty mopey and medium. And then I had an Arayo deck. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I sent my nice. Arayo deck to, to Michael Majors like 30 hours ago and he hasn't responded despite being on discord. And wow, I'm, that's messed up. Yeah, it is dude. It's so messed up. I would expect him above all people to be excited about an Arayo deck. Yeah. You want to transform Arayo on turn two. This, this makes it so trivial. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, yeah, I think this card is absolutely great for modern. I think that, so many of the artifact decks were in like the tier two ish range and this doesn't necessarily put them to tier one, but it gets them very close. So I'm, yeah. I'm stoked about this card. Same right there with you. And uh, everyone else should be as well. I demand you get stoked about Moonsnare prototype. It's weird to get excited about a spring leaf drum, you know, but I think, I think that this card will be remembered way more fondly than spring leaf drum. That's that says a lot. I mean, Springleaf Drum, an important card in Magic's history, I would say. So yeah, but it's remembered about as fondly as Ornithopter, you know. I think there's Ornithopter fans out there. You don't think some people love Ornithopter? They do. I've just never met them. Okay, sure. March of Otherworldly Light X Dub Instant as an additional cost to cast the spell. You may exile any number of white cards from your hand. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. Exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment. With mana value X or less. I want white to be good at it removal. I think it should be part of white's identity. This card, it's good. You know, in emergency situations, you can go ahead and get the discount with the exile. I don't think that'll come up too often. I think it's just supposed to be more of a catch-all for cheap permanence, at which case it's going to be pretty good. It's somewhat well, supplanted in the older formats, I would say. It's, but. it's a disembowel, which is not great because you're always paying more than what your opponent paid for sure but, for sure you, you need a specific type of deck that can benefit from yeah this. it's versatile so i think having the pitch option is huge as long as uh you know similarly to, to solitude type of stuff it's like you need ways to recoup the card advantage and if you have that uh, this is a cycle but if you yeah. have ways to recoup the card advantage then these cards all seem pretty absurd or like they have the potential to be absurdly good yeah i mean especially if like you have a reason for wanting to play cards down like you actually want sure. to clear stuff from your hand I, I could see March, all the marches being impactful. Uh, I just had to talk about this card here, though, because you, you can't talk about it on Discord because Discord's profanity filter will not let you post this image. Oh, yeah, because the rabbit looks like a boob or something? Because the rabbit <laughs> looks like a boob. And their algorithm was like, nope, that's not getting posted. So when this card got previewed, a bunch of people tried to share it to our Discord and got shut down because they were sharing rabbit boobs. That's funny. It is quite funny. It makes me wonder what the most like non-boob looking thing you could share that would be flagged would look like. It's got to be this rabbit. It just has to be. What I it's, can't it's even think of anything close. else. Yeah. 
I I don't know. It's, it's, it, it does kind of look like a boob, though, now that I'm looking at it for quite an extended period of time. Uh, I, I see what the algorithm's doing. I don't know. If you don't take anything else in, into consideration, then maybe. But I don't know how much I want to delve into the specifics of why I feel it looks a lot like a boob, but there's like an areola-ish type deal happening around the rabbit's tail. I'll I, just go look at the art. I judge for yourself. I understand. Judge for yourself. I get it. Yeah, I don't know. This this card is solid. It's fine. I don't I don't know if you're gonna play four of it or whatever. Uh, Doubt it. But it is interesting. I like having options. Options are great. They are, and I like that this is a cycle. Very cool cycle. Touch the spirit realm. Two dub enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, exile up to one target artifact or creature until this leaves the battlefield. And you can channel this for one dub. Discard this. Exile target artifact or creature. Return it to the beginning. Or return to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Super versatile blink effect that actually doubles as a removal spell. So, uh, you know, I love my versatility. I think this does that trick very well. There's a lot of benefits to blinking stuff in standard, in older formats as well. I think like the three mana removal spell, probably not going to cut it in older formats. But I don't know if this will be able to overcome its limited targets like target artifact or creature you know these oblivion rings at three generally hit everything yeah so that's definitely a knock against it but if you do benefit from this blink effect really nice ad for your deck so we don't have many great blink effects teleportation circle is like really the only one right yep and that's recursive one for sure yeah and that that's like you have to really mean it but this is like a removal spell you can play where if it's kind of dead against your opponent or in the situation or because it's narrow, I could see that too, then maybe you get to save your creature from a removal spell and that seems kind of nice. Or, uh, yeah, you just have a deck with stuff that is worth blinking where this can be a removal spell if you want it. I don't know. Two, two mana for a single blink effect is like not great on rate. Three mana, very narrow oblivion ring is not great, but like with their powers combined, maybe. Yeah, also, like I said, extremely versatile card. It plays on offense as well. You can use it to remove a blocker and sure. a pinch. So it, it just kind of does everything, and it doesn't do anything particularly well, but it does everything, and we'll see if that's enough. March of Reckless Joy. XR instant as an additional cost to cast the spell. You may exile any number of red cards from your hand. The spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. Exile the top X cards of your library. You may play up to two of those cards until the end of your next turn. You like this card or not? No, I don't know what to do with it. Oh. I, I just, I don't, I don't see anything. Like wh- where do you envision this mattering? Okay. So say you're, you're kind of mana screwed, right? Yeah. For one mana and a card in your hand, you can like basically transform this into like a, a double cycling effect. You know, it's like maybe like get your land drop, play a two drop or something, whatever. So I think early game, it's probably not that bad. And then, I mean, late game, you could go digging for as much as you want, really. The thing where I think it is interesting is when you're talking in the context of like the Beer G Storm decks in Historic or uh, like the Modern Red Storm decks in Legacy. Mm -hmm. It's like this is kind of interesting because you just have, you know, like an extra copy of Past in Flames. Like you just have a bunch of nonsense cardboard, right? Where... You just get to cash that in to to go digging for something else, and it seems like pretty strong in those sorts of decks. Okay, I guess I also like the fact that it's an instant. So in scenarios where you're just like doing nothing, you can just like 
X is four at the end of your opponent's right. turn, have two cards to load up on. So maybe I wanted this to be sort of broken in its effect, and maybe it's just a good solid effect. Like yeah. it's, it's more fair than I wanted it to be. And, you know, you're mentioning it in unfair context, but now as I talk about that particular play pattern, I, I kind of like an unfair context just being your card advantage source. And you have to build around it for sure. Like you can't have a bunch of expensive stuff in your deck at that point. But as long as you're willing to concede that, I can buy this being important. So like say say you're playing mono mono red aggro, right? Like and you really want to curve maybe like one, two, three, four or whatever. This can like kind of help you filter that out. Or if like, you know, maybe you drew too much too many of your four drops or dead removal spells or something against control, and it's like you just get to cash that in. It's like I could see playing like a couple copies of this in, in standard mono red. What is interesting to me is is there a way to benefit from exiling a bunch of stuff from your hand. Now, I guess it has to be specifically red cards. Yeah. I think if it wasn't if it wasn't red cards, I think you could find something to do in that vein. Like but, the Eldrazi Scourge, right, Miss Hollow right, Griffin right, right. type of setup. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a, a very fictional world that this card does not exist in, so probably not worth worrying about. Yeah, but basically it's interesting, and I could see scenarios where it's very good, but also if you're like, well, I'm like kind of mana screwed and you like pitch a card and spend a mana and you just like don't hit any lands or whatever, it's like, well, you're probably screwed anyway. You know, you weren't drawing. That is true. But you, you were not winning that that game for sure. But if if you ever like pitch a card and spend some mana and then you can't recoup both cards out of it, it's pretty disastrous. So it's it's fairly high risk, which I, I also like don't want to flood on these necessarily. So I think you can only play a limited number of copies unless you are doing like the storm deck thing. Then maybe you can just go ham. I don't know. Oh, I'm curious if your deck is super low to the ground, like super low CMCs all over the place. If you can just like max on these. I mean, you get like Shatter Skull Smashing as yeah. like a land to pitch to this, which is kind of cool. Spike Field Hazard Hazard, is, is yeah. less good because if you're super low to the ground, you don't want the ETB tap land probably. But right, right. yeah, you could probably do that too. Well, that's interesting. I might explore that one. March of Burgeoning Life. XG, instant. As an additional cost to cast a spell, you may exile any number of green cards from your hand. The spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. Choose target creature with mana value less than X. Search your library for a creature card with the same name as that creature. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Do you like this card? I want to like this card a lot more because I can see scenarios like... What I would like to do with this card is get mana output, essentially. Yes. Um, like, do the turn three Nissa thing, where you just always have your mana accelerant. Now, I don't think that's strong enough for older formats, and the setup is not there in standard. So I was like, well, can you Lotus Cobra and just kind of go off that way? If it wasn't for the fact that it's mana value less, if it was less I than know. or equal, I think you I could know. do it. Less than, though, I... I just don't know if I buy this card as actually being good enough. Yeah, it's it's kind of gross in that way. But I was thinking about it where it's like, obviously, if you were able to go like Goldspan Dragon, immediately clone it, and like the card comes to play tapped or whatever. But it's like, you, you can mm-hmm. potentially get like such a huge mana advantage. Yeah. You know, for playing this for one mana after you play like a, a threat that is actually good. But it's like, the bigger it is, the more cards you would have to pitch. And they have to be green also. So it's like, you know, you play, I don't know, just like a one drop. Well, you play a two drop on two and then like a one drop. And then like you use this to get another two drop and like pitch a card. It's like you're not even like really getting anything from it. It's like, no. what is the best thing that you 
you can do. It's just like a three drop on four in this or something. It's weird, but context of like Pioneer in like the green devotion decks, I think using this to to get like another burning tree emissary might be good. Okay, that's interesting. I was trying to like wrap my hand around it and Eternal Witness and what exactly you could do with those type of setups. Oh yeah, you, that's weird. Yeah, you're getting recursive with it, but I don't like obviously when you hit a mana breakpoint, it's good. Like if you just hit a late game and you have these in hand, then it becomes very appealing. Yeah, until they kill your creature in response. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I think this card has some like pretty, pretty big flaws, and the potential output is like enticing. I don't think it's going to get there, though. Yeah, there's just too many things. It's like they can kill your creature. It's less than X, which is pretty brutal. And yeah. it, it like, doesn't really work at any spot on the curve, unless you play, like, Lanor Elves on one, maybe. But I, I basically like the idea of, like, well, I'll pitch my hand to put another threat into play that's undercosted, you know, and just, like, try and win the game that way. It's just really hard to figure out the scenarios in which this is actually good. If your deck has... Uh, all dryad arbors you can you can curve into your dryad arbors okay can you yeah i guess i'm not saying you should i'm saying i, I think you can so you you would have to lead turn one dryad arbor turn two like forest get another dryad arbor which is like okay you've earned yourself a rampant growth congratulations and a very fragile one at that Ooh, ooh i think i got it what about the bushwhacker decks in modern because you have your burning tree and burning the, tree, and the yeah. mono green one, right? Okay, it's interesting. That I mean, it's still obviously so fragile and yes. like, but the, I mean, those decks line up so well. Those decks, no, are that's that's true. I don't think what they needed though was another fragile engine, right? Like they need some consistency, probably. Well, and I I I think they like guaranteeing that you have like three burning tree emissaries. That's is, enough is a good start. You know, Maybe. that gives you consistency at Maybe. least to like what you're doing. And that deck was always about just like okay, I'm gonna shove. Yeah. Huh. Or what if there is a way to do like Phyrexian Dreadnought type of stuff where you're not keeping it in play? I don't know. Oh, you just want it to you want it to bin right away? Or yeah, or have a pandemonium or something. I don't know. But I, I guess okay. you, well, yeah, this is an instance that does work with like ETBs on the stack. I don't know. It does. Weirdness. Yeah. Weird cards for sure. I think all the marches are kind of weird. Uh, but like they are it's really hard to make pitch cards be safe right? Like yeah. this is just a, a mechanic fraught with peril. I think these are safe and they're interesting. So good job. That's, that's really tough to do. So the white one being removal is like, okay, you know, this is not going to be a broken thing. It might be like super efficient, yep. but not broken. The red one, since it's capped at uh, two cards is probably Hard not going to be broken either. But like this green one where you're thinking about like, you know, can I get an extra thing into play on the cheap? Well, you know, maybe that is good. Maybe. Maybe hardest hoops though. So there's, there's good balance mechanisms there. True. But uh, as far as like one most likely to be broken, I think it might be the green one. Okay. I could buy that. All right. Fable of the mirror breaker Two R saga uh, chapter one, create a two, two red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. Chapter two, you may discard up to two cards. If you do draw that many cards, chapter three exile returns to the battlefield transformed under its control. And it is a two, two enchantment creature, goblin shaman, one tap, create a token. That's a copy of another target, non-legendary creature you control, except it has haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next instant. Very wise to add a cost to yes. this reflection of Kiki Jiki. Very smart. 
Maybe still a good card, though. I, I actually think the part I like the most about this is step two in the saga transition. Discard up two cards and then draw that many cards. There's a bunch of decks that can just benefit from that effect. And again, like raw cardboard, what are we getting out of this? We get a 2-2 to start. If it attacks, it generates more cardboard in a treasure token. Then we get this loot effect, very about powerful effect for sure in specific instances. And then we do all this and we get to this reflection of Kiki-Jiki, which we know how powerful this cloning effect can be. So if you're looking at your output from this three mana card, slow, it takes time, but just a huge, huge amount of stuff being produced by Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Right. I mean, it's worth noting that the backside does not have haste, right? So you, there, there is a delay there on like all of the stuff basically. But like you said, you're just getting so much out of this card. It seems so good to me. So uh, that's interesting. I don't know that I had really like fully, like, it makes sense. I don't know that I've entirely internalized the fact that none of these are going to be effective as creatures on the turn which they transform, right? They, yeah. They have to reestablish themselves on the battlefield. And again, that's just part of the glacial slowness of these cards. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time, but you just get like, I mean, this is basically just a planeswalker, you know, for three mana. A lot of stuff, a lot of output. So yeah, it's like the, the B saga, for example, which I guess is on my list and we can talk about it at some point, but it's like, it eventually makes a two, two and it's like, it attacks on, I don't know, turn 30 or something. It just, it, it really takes a long time to happen. It's just like all yeah, these cards no have, have suspend, but I think in a lot of instances that's fine because in the case of fable, you're getting so much from the mana that you pay and it's like mm-hmm. stuff, stuff that has to be dealt with. So I would agree. Yeah. Plus, you know, copying things uh, is, is pretty powerful. It can certainly break. And even if, you know, you have to spend a mana each time you do it, there's there's still ways to get payouts on that. It, you only need so many, whoever your, your copying thing is of choice before your opponent is just dead. So, Right. Uh, I'm not trying to go infinite with this it's so much as just like have it be a value card. And for a red card, that's pretty exciting. Yep. White Dragon Time, Ow the Dawn Sky, 3-dub-dub, 5-4, Legendary Creature Dragon Spirit, Flying Vigilance, when this dies, choose one of two. Uh, either look at the top seven cards of your library, put any number of non-land permanent cards with total mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield, put the rest on the bottom of your library in random order, or put two plus one plus one counters on each permanent you control that's a creature or vehicle. I like this as basically a, a top end uh, for, I don't know, like hopefully you get like two two drops off this or something, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that that would be super nice, but also if you have a pretty big battlefield It incentivizes them to like not kill this. Cause you can just pump all your stuff. Uh, but also for like storm, the festival type things. I think that this is a pretty powerful hit. Yeah. Good hit there for sure. I don't know what's wrong with me where like, I see a card like this and the only thing I want to do is figure out how to get like six permanents out of this card. Yeah. dies, And that's just not going to do anything. Like whether it's, whether you can do it or not, it doesn't mean it's a good idea. And you know, you could do like spring leaf drum style stuff and ornithopters and then, where do you ultimately end up? I mean, maybe your next AO of the Dawn Sky is good when it pumps everything up, but I I think that one of the big problems I have with this card is that the type of decks that could benefit from having this top end, just they just don't play top ends anymore. Like that's not really how it goes. And a lot of that was like divide by zero, disincentivizing those things. So maybe with that card gone, cards like AO can come back into the fold a little bit. I feel like there must be a better option out there already though like it, it just doesn't seem like it does enough 
So there's Resplendent something. It's like three dub dub, three three flyer, or maybe it's Marshall. Like Cigar- Resplendent Marshall. Guardians. I don't know. It's like it's like some angel that when you cast it, you get like two two drops. And I okay. initially put that in like some of the white weenie decks I was playing, uh, both as like a sideboard like go big option and. Oh, like the Revelark type thing, right? You, yeah. get from the, you get it from the bin. Yeah, I remember talking about this during previous seasons. Yeah, and then it was like, oh, maybe I'll just build like a more mid-rangey white deck and like, you know, spoilers, the, the beatdowny one was much stronger and you didn't really need yep. the sideboard plan. And this one is is like kind of worse, but kind of better where like, A, you have the option, but B, it's, it's a dice thing. So it protects you against sweepers, whereas the other one was like, well, I hope they sweep me and then I get to cast this. But like, this is yeah. way more punishing against sweepers. So it is. I think that this card is better uh, despite having like kind of bad uh, experiences with a similar card, but like also this in like a mid range deck where you mostly do have like powerful two mana cards and you have storm the festival to hit this thing. And like that just chains you into like more and more resources. It's like really tough to actually run you out of gas, which is yeah. pretty nice. There's also nothing wrong with this. Just go ahead and like finding your Asika's chariot, right. Yeah. And rebuilding in that fashion. So yeah, that's true too. So I think that this one is is a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, if I man it, there is a lot of competition for sure. I, I like the idea of Storm of the Festival. That's the the best spot I've seen for AO thus far. And actually, some like green white Storm of the Festival stuff has been doing okay in post band standards. So yep, Rabbit Battery R one one artifact creature equipment Rabbit Haste equip creature gets plus one plus one in haste, and you can reconfigure for R. This is a raging goblin that can haste up further things for, for one mana. We've seen how good Reckless Stormseeker is. This is not nearly as good, obviously, because you have to pay a mana for it. But, like, it's still pretty cheap. And if you're just actual legitimate, like, mono-red aggro, you could do worse than this. Agreed. There's there's good options for uh, these cheap mono-red plays. And I, I think the deck is sorely lacking them right now. So good to see those added yeah this this actually gives you something to to start with you know if you can't mm-hmm. if you can't start on one mana you're uh probably playing a mid-range deck which makes me happy but is not really what you want to be doing so we have right. the tools for it now good to see okiba reckoner raid yeah that's the rat biker gang all right uh b enchantment <laughs> saga chapter one and chapter two are both each opponent loses one life and you gain one life Chapter 3, Exile the Saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. 2-2, Menace. Vehicles you control have Menace. And I like that it references vehicles because it's like, oh, well, your thing has summoning sickness, but if you're playing this in like a vehicles deck, then that kind of just pays for itself. Yeah, a little weird because I expect the vehicles color to be like blue-white, so it's sort of strange to see it branch out to black here but maybe as the set fills out that'll make more sense and it's the exact same thing i keep saying about all of these cards like for one mana you get essentially shock your opponent's face gain two life and a two two with upside like menace is good. it's Men- it's absurd output it just is glacially slow so i mean it's slow it's just like these decks don't have a ton to do on turn one no, they don't. That and, is fair. And and this set has like a lot of one mana cards. And I kind of like that it's like you're not playing Usher of the Fallen or you know Goblin Guy type of stuff or whatever on on turn one and just like immediately pressuring your opponent. It's just it means that the game is going to get super exciting around like turn four because like a lot of things are going to be happening, right? Right. And 
the game starts early. You have stuff to do with your mana, so it feels good. It feels like you're progressing, but it's not just like, well, you're under a ton of pressure and you have to really like react right now or else you're going to lose the game. So I kind of like this, actually. Question is really going to be, is there something that has like the the high crew numbers that we're looking like a crew four type setup where it has a really big threat and you can combine it with the other things that pump crew size and all that stuff has to come together. There is like surge hacker mech, which is four colorless five, five menace. When surge hacker mech enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to twice the number of vehicles you control to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. I, I kind of like that card. Like the, the the support around it has to be really strong before I'm into this. Uh, unfortunately, this already has menace, so it's not really benefiting from Okiba Reckoner raid. But still, I think all of this stuff mushing together maybe has a chance as long as we have enough top end payout on our vehicles. Yeah, I mean, Tezzeret is uh, a pretty solid top end if if you are in blue, right? Okay, yeah. I, I think that yeah. there's not going to be a shortage of like four mana powerful cards you could play as a top end. What about the vehicles though that have like the intense crew costs that are still worth playing? I think it's gonna—it's it, just like a card type that is really hard to make, and something like this, which is a removal spell tacked on, and you know it should always do two damage, right? Because it has itself to count. Right. That—that's pretty appealing to me. Like I, I think you're getting enough out of that card. I actually kind of wish we talked about this card because I think the output is again nice on this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, there's there's a lot of cards to talk about, right? So sure. We're we're not hitting everything. I guarantee you. Very uh, true. Maybe uh, check back in for our, our top 10 list or whatever, and then you can yell at us for things that we missed. going to be tough. This is going to be a tough top 10 list. Indeed, it really is. Uh, okay, final card. Takanuma, Abandoned Mire, Legendary Land, Tap, Add, B, Channel, 3B, Discard This, Mill 3 cards, then return a creature or Planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. This costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. This is just uh, like Jund Incarnate on the land. Yeah, good little bit of value whatever your best threat is, you get to squeeze a little bit more out of it. Oh, I, the world where I could do this and bring a blood braid elf back to my hand and, you know, get all that power tied up in just my land is definitely a world I want to live in. I don't believe it's the world we presently live in, but wow, would that be great? Even just doing stuff like getting back your death shadow though, you know, that's going to matter. Ooh, yeah, that's legit. Yeah. I I like this card. It, It seems like one of the more impactful ones. I mean, I think, I guess you could make the case for like all of them being pretty impactful, all of them. but it's yeah, like, they all matter. but it's like, you are definitely playing the one and you're super happy about it. And I could see playing a second or like when you sideboard into something a little bit bigger in grindier matchups and you play the second copy in the sideboard or something. So I, mm. I like this card a lot. And then I don't know, there, there might even be decks that are like built around recursion, maybe not for this format in this age, but it's like, I could see a world maybe in where decks would want to play like two or three of this. Sure. The safest wild cards you could spend during the, the release window are on these five legendary lands. Make one of each. I don't think you'll regret it for even a second. Yeah, but on the other hand, you could also just save the wild cards, not play with them, and be a little bit more cost efficient, and you'd still probably be fine. You know, it's like if, if we're talking about like building a budget version of like these decks, it's like we would probably not include these. If, if that was our goal, I'm sure there's probably more important cards to play, but... You know these cards aren't going to go to waste, basically, is, is the way I would look at it. Whereas other crafts, you're like, oh, is this actually going to pan out in the metagame? These cards will all matter in the metagame. So. Yeah, I don't know. So, like, there, there are the things where it's like, oh, what cards are safe to craft or whatever. It's like, these are technically safe to craft because 
They're they're definitely going to see play. They're future proof, but it's just like it's not the necessarily the best way to spend the your wild thing. cards I if agree. you're light. So, yep, it's kind of awkward. Like if if I if I do play arena uh, with this set, which I, I imagine I probably will, even though I'm not happy. But I, dude, I I skipped alchemy, you know, like yeah, or mostly did. I had to craft some stuff for for content, but yeah. I I crafted a bunch of stuff and it all got nerfed. So. Oh, that's fine. I'm sure you got uh, wild cards as compensation. Uh, no, nobody <laughs> Well, no, you should feel good because you're good at identifying the powerful cards, right? I am. Thank you for rewarding me, Matt. Yeah, your your reward is, uh, you know, the 5,000 gold. They're gone. No, the 5,000 gold you won playing with your busted cards. Great, great. I won't spend it all in one place. Yeah, I don't know. It's like there's there, there are so many things I want to try, which it's like, oh, well, Arena makes the games pretty fast. But at the same time, it's like I don't want to invest $200 not because it's just like oh you know that's an exorbitant amount of money like it's it's a tax write-off for work or whatever so it's not that bad but I just like don't want to reward them you know you can you can only speak with your wallet that's the only language that a, a corporation is capable of listening to yeah so. I, at the end of the day it doesn't matter probably not but whatever probably not but remember as we established much earlier in the cast nothing matters so you know do whatever you want be happy be kind that's all I ask be kind. I, I appreciate that. That is a good one. It's it's so simple, but should be probably at the, the forefront of people's minds a little bit more often than it Agreed. is. Agreed. Game. Good luck.